Alright, so the boys are back for episode 35 of Point Shot Hockey, brought to you by the great folks at High Stick Vodka, the double gold award-winning premium vodka from the heart of the Okanagan with a taste so smooth and delicious, you'll forget that half the Vancouver Canucks are scattered around North America in COVID protocol. And it comes in a frigging hockey stick. Okay, so I am Josh Riven, I'm joined by my co-host Sean Warren, and a very special guest on today's episode. If you follow Vancouver sports, then you know the name, contributor on the Scariest and Price show, and very shortly, some of his own exciting endeavors, Scott Rintoul. Scott, thanks so much for joining us on Point Shot Hockey today. How are you? I'm well, Josh, Sean. Thank you guys very much for having me on, and I will apologize to you guys publicly because I was in again, out again, in again for this episode, but here I am. I pride myself on not being a high-maintenance guy. Like I'm a low-maintenance guy. <laughs> everywhere i've been so the fact that i've made this high maintenance for you guys i apologize for that but here we are and i expect all that vodka showing up in hockey sticks very very shortly on my doorstep yeah absolutely i'm, I'm waiting for my own as well i've got uh <laughs> i saw on social media they've got uh they posted one where they've got this uh crate made out of hockey sticks as well uh full of them and i was like I'm going to be the most popular guy at beer league. <laughs> so uh, they, they fit 12 of them in there. So yeah, that's a must. That's a must have. Beautiful. <laughs> so Scott, it's a busy time in Canucks land right now. We had some exciting announcements. Uh, one that me and Sean were pretty happy about the hiring of Rachel Dory uh, in the analytics department for the Vancouver Canucks. And it looks like their, their search for upper management general manager role, assistant GM are, are starting to, to come to an end here. Yeah, it certainly does. It looks like by the beginning of February, they'd like to have something in place. And as we record this episode, there hasn't been another AGM hired. There hasn't been that GM put in place, but I'm with you. The, the hiring of Rachel Dory is a very good hire for the Vancouver Canucks. And this is a person who was sought after by multiple organizations. Those reports surfaced after it was made official that Rachel will be joining the analytics department. I know you guys have had interaction with Rachel in the past. I have as well. I put this as a very big check mark for both the person involved in Rachel and the organization. This is a very good hire. Such a good fit too, like with the direction that the Canucks organization uh, at least appears to be going uh, with the construction of this group. Uh, lots of different voices from different backgrounds and uh, and expertises and Rachel is such an outside the box thinker. It's it's an awesome, awesome hire. I'm I'm over the moon, just completely elated with the hire. It's it's fantastic that she selected Vancouver. Yeah, on a number of different levels, it's a very good mm -hmm. hire. Let's start with this one. She's very qualified for the job. And though I don't know the entire field of candidates, 
I would believe she was the best candidate. I don't believe she was hired for any other reason. I don't think this is tokenism to any degree. Let's put that first. She's the right person for the job. She's qualified. She's a very hard worker. She's completing her master's right now. She's worked for another NHL organization. She's been a contributor at multiple media platforms, including her own podcast. This is a very bright woman that is joining the Vancouver Canucks. And I am of the opinion, whether it's the Canucks, any other organization, any other sport, the more smart people you can assemble, the better chance you have for success. So that's qualifier number one. Number two, I do believe it is important that it is someone who is different than the average NHL hire. And that's for a lot of different reasons. I think you guys are both on the same page with you need a diversity of voices in any organization to come to your best conclusions. And there are so many things that convention doesn't think of. And Sean, you made the point. She's an outside the box thinker. That doesn't mean every single one of Rachel's ideas or any other member of the organization's ideas are going to be the ones that everyone has to agree on. But you need to think of things that other people aren't thinking of, kick them around with your group, have the basis of trust that once you leave and you, you are aligned, but that everybody has a seat at the table and everybody has a voice to be heard. One of the things that I think about too is is just how much this market has been craving something like this for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, like I even think back to like Jason Botford referencing a wait a sec guy, you know, uh, just somebody that comes in with a different opinion that challenges uh, the conventional thought process of the group. Uh, and now to see that that is such a focal point uh, for Jim Rutherford in constructing his management group, uh, that lots of voices, people that aren't always going to be in agreement, uh, people that aren't all thinking along the exact same lines. It's quite a stark difference from what we've seen over the last eight years up till now. What a refreshing uh, sight for Vancouver Canucks fans to see the direction of where this is going. And again, we haven't even got a general manager yet or completed uh, the AGM hires. So it's uh, it's already promising and, and very exciting for, for Canucks fans to, to look at. So I want to agree with your general thesis, but disagree with the point of what you just said, Sean, because overall, yeah. I agree with everything you're saying. Freshness of voice, different perspectives. That should be the way you, that you build a quality organization. I do believe that there have been some thinkers in the organization during that last eight year period who have different opinions. And yet some of those opinions may not have been heard. Some of those opinions sure. may not have been taken as seriously as they have. I think there have been very good people working in the organization at a variety of levels who have altered contrary opinion to actions that have been taken. You have to be able to have your voice heard. It's yeah. great to be a diverse thinker. It's great to be outside the box. If the people who ultimately make the decisions don't listen and choose to go a different direction, and hey, when you're sitting in that power seat and you're pressing the buttons... That is ultimately what you've been hired to do. But you also have to be broad enough in your thinking to listen to the people that you've hired and trust them and empower them to give you the information that is going to lead you to hopefully more often than not the correct decision. Scott, do you, do you think that some of the past members of the organization then in maybe Jim Benning's tenure have been limited in some of their opportunities because their voices haven't been heard or say that their message you know hasn't really been looked at per se that would be my guess 
That would be my guess because some of the directions that have been taken by the organization, and this isn't to say, hey, Jim Benning made every wrong decision. Jim Benning did some things well. Every single general manager has a pros and cons list, a pluses and <laughs> exactly. minuses. Like we can go through the best ones in the league and see where they screwed up. Like the best general manager in the league has made many, many poor decisions, but you got to win more often than not. And there are critical ones that you got to win more often than not. I know people will bristle when I bring this name up. Peter Shirelli was pretty highly regarded when he came out of Boston. And people went, wow, that guy made some really good decisions. And look what the Bruins are. And he helped build them. Well, he went to Edmonton and some very critical decisions that he made put that organization on its ass for a long time. And they're still trying, especially right <laughs> yeah, now, still, to get yeah. out of them. <laughs> right? Like, they're still trying yeah. to. So sometimes it just depends what the volume looks like. But Hey, there were some people who are like Judd Brackett. Let's take him, for example. Mm -hmm. Judd Brackett had influence in the organization. He had a voice. He was listened to at times. Maybe it wasn't as often as he would have liked to have been, or maybe he wanted more control over aspects of the decision-making that he didn't ultimately get. But that doesn't mean he wasn't listened to. He had some say, and I'm just using his, him as an example, guys. But mm -hmm. I do believe that there have been some within the organization who have said, this is a direction we should go. Uh, thank you very much for your opinion. We're going to go that direction. I do think that happens in any organization where you don't achieve the level of success that you would hope to. I think that's something, too, that Chris Gear has since uh, alluded to. And maybe I'm looking a little bit too far into the quote, but uh, he his quote was essentially that there is no perfect uh, or ideal management team size. But the most important thing is that there's open doors that their communication lines are open and everybody's voices are heard. That's not to say that wasn't happening, uh, but that that was something that at least Chris Gear saw as something incredibly valuable. And thankfully, that, that appears to be the case going forward, whether that was the case or not in the past here. Uh, that that seems to be the, the, the philosophy going forward with Jim Rutherford's group. Yes, and Jim Rutherford has obviously constructed a much bigger front office and a bigger structure than what Jim Benning had during his tenure. But I also agree with Chris Gear's point. You don't have to have three AGMs and eight or more analytics people. Like there's no ideal number. Look at Carolina. Carolina is one of the best teams in the league. Carolina doesn't have billions of people working under their umbrella, but what they have done is, He's found some really good people, Eric Tulski being one of those who gets a lot of credit. But it's not as though they had as many front office staff as, say, the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I agree with Chris Gear. There's not an ideal number, but you better find the right people. And one of the ways you can go about it, and I think a lot of people logically look at it, is, hey, if you bring in more voices then you have a better chance of landing on that. But not every organization has to operate that way to have success. Well, and that's one place, too, that I think a lot of people look at the parity throughout the league, uh, how the salary cap is structured, and then they look at how the front office is not capped, right? So that's a potential tactical advantage. If you view having a bigger front office and more voices as an advantage uh, that you could have for some of these larger market teams or, or teams that are willing to spend uh, a bit more you could have and employ more people more talented people uh, in in those capacities and you're not restricted in any way you could have 
30 analytical people if you wanted, if you so valued having 30 analytical voices, uh, for example. So uh, it was a it was a cool thought because I know for a lot of years here, um, much has been made of just how small the front office for the Vancouver Canucks has become or had become. Um, and now we're seeing such a, a complete opposite where we're going to see multiple AGMs. Uh, we're seeing a much more robust uh, front office group. Certainly. And I'll expand that just beyond the front office. Like, let's mm -hmm. take that further. It's about resources. And does your owner believe enough in the management and upper levels of the organization that he's assembled, if you have a president, whatever, to say, okay, whatever you guys say, I trust whatever the consortium is. You know what? We need to be doing more with our AHL team. And here's why. Or in the case of Mike Gillis, everybody talks about the sleep doctor. One <laughs> yes. of the, but that was an innovative approach at the time. Absolutely. And I know, I, I know it was a, it was a running punchline for a lot of people, but Mike Gillis had the ear of ownership and ownership at the time was willing to spend on things that it hadn't previously spent on even redoing the locker room, things like that, making the players feel better, having more chefs available to cook for players and cook in a healthier way and monitor the type of nutrition that they were having. These are all things most people don't think about, but if your organization is willing to spend on, I'll give you an example from the NBA. This seems like a really minor thing. Mark Cuban, when he took over the Dallas Mavericks, one of the things that came out afterwards is in the visiting locker room, Mark Cuban would outfit it with high-end towels and amenities. It doesn't sound like much. And one of his staff said to him, you know, if you put the top-end high-thread count towels in there and you put these amenities, the, the opposing players are going to take them. Like, they're better probably than they might have at their own house because not everybody's <laughs> willing to spend on that. And, and do you know what Mark Cuban said? He said, good. I want them to take them. I want them to know that if they play for the Dallas Mavericks, this is how you get treated. It's a small thing, but the impression that it leaves in players' minds and the confidence it builds of being part of a quality organization, those things matter. That I, is, I love that. Yeah, yeah that, that, that is. And that's something really important that you wouldn't really think about. And I mean, Scott, I know you've had a lot of time as an athlete, and I want to get into that a little bit later, but I want to keep things in the front office right now. As it looks like, the Canucks are getting close to a general or a, yeah, a general manager hire. Uh, Patrick Alvine and Scott Mellonby both look like they're interviewing in Vancouver at the moment. Uh, one of the names that I was, I was kind of had my fingers crossed for it, especially after I saw Rachel Dory hire was Mike Fiuta, but I don't think that names has been told by a couple of, uh, by a couple of people to me that didn't know Josh, that's, that's not going to happen. But uh, what, what are you uh, what are you seeing out of the Canucks at general manager search right now? More than anything, I believe that Jim Rutherford wants someone who he believes has great potential, but is also malleable, and someone he can mold. Not exactly in his likeness, but someone who perhaps isn't cast in all of his or her views yet, and knows there are some things to learn. And that's going to be the transition process, you would think, in Vancouver. Whether it's Patrick Elvey and Scott Mellaby or someone else, Jim Rutherford's got a three-year deal. We all know what age Jim Rutherford is at, and we also know he does not lack for his desire to win. All of those things are on the table. But at some point, 
Jim Rutherford is probably going to say, I don't need to run an NHL team anymore. So my belief is that Jim Rutherford really wants to set this up for success beyond himself. He wants to, to achieve a level of success while he's in Vancouver. And you know, he wants to add a cup from another organization and set himself apart from some of the other great general managers in NHL history from doing that. But he really wants to mold the person that's going to be in place and impart some of the wisdom that he's acquired over his years in the national hockey. League. Yeah, that seems to be the growing, uh, thought there as well and it makes a ton of sense when you take into consideration all the things that you said there it, it's it's a comforting thing for me uh because when you see somebody's age like jim rutherford's age it's only a three-year deal arguably that would be uh and again this kind of using jim benning's timelines previously two three years until you're in a competitive like a truly contender competitive window uh you start wondering is there going to be shortcuts here because He's got that that trademark aggressiveness, right? Uh, but that doesn't appear, at least, to be the case at this point, which is really, really nice to see because winning in this league is incredibly difficult. And we can see the teams that are successful, the Floridas, the Tampas, the Carolinas, they've built for years to get to this point, and it's not something to happen overnight uh, and certainly not something that you can just achieve in an offseason of free agency or... Uh, some splashy trades so uh, something that I take comfort in at least and I think a lot of a lot of Canucks fans are kind of in that same boat of don't try to rush the process just try to do the process correctly exactly and that doesn't mean you're going to have success we all like Florida we like Florida yeah. last year and we like Florida this year that's a good looking hockey team and seems primed for some level of success Florida hasn't won a playoff round since 1996 <laughs> which is crazy that's a long to think time, about. guys. Yeah. <laughs> that's a long time. You can have a really good organization. You can do things really well, and it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win a cup. As much as they're the butt of a lot of jokes on the West Coast and other places in Canada, the Toronto Maple Leafs, I think if most people are honest, that's a good organization. They've mm -hmm. done a bunch of things right. There's some other flaws that I think we've all seen over the past couple of years. He went, I don't know if that's going to work out. I'm not sure that you've, Put enough stock in that part of your organization or that building of your team and it has bitten them time and time again in the playoffs but i just want to reinforce the point you can do things really well and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to win a stanley cup there's so much involved when it comes to that you could run into a tampa bay yeah <laughs> you know or a boston every time right and so yeah, there's definitely an element of luck in that as well, too. <laughs> sure. And there's health and there's getting goaltending at the right time. Those are the two biggest things, really, when you look at NHL playoffs and talk about, wow, this team plays playoff type hockey. Well, did they stay healthy and did they get really good goaltending? Because if they did, they've got a really good chance to go do something. <laughs> so speaking of the team that's on the ice, it's kind of hard to judge right now. As, as I mentioned in the intro with half the, the team being stuck in random parts of North America right now, luckily with um, how things are going in the United States with COVID protocols, a lot of them are able to actually be on the ice and, and doing some training, which is, which is good. I saw Aston Sautner was on the ice uh, yesterday, uh, training in Nashville. So that was good. But w what do you make of the team that we're seeing on the ice right now, Scott? See a much more confident team, a much more confident team. They're not as good as the 
never lose under Bruce Boudreaux, Bruce, there it is, streak that happened. And they're not as bad as they were when they couldn't seem to find a win, couldn't seem to kill any penalty. That's come back to bite them again here recently as well. It should be pointed out that they didn't all of a sudden become this staunch penalty-killing unit simply because they changed coaching staffs. They had a nice run out of the gate under Boudreaux. They're six for their last 12 on the penalty kill, and fortunately for the Canucks, they found a way to get the other part of the special teams headed in the right direction to get some confidence in their power play, and that has really evened things out for them. The play of Thatcher Demko has been remarkable. He's been so good this year. He continues to play this way. I find it hard to believe that he won't be in the Vesna Trophy conversation. Doesn't mean he'll win. Some of it will be reflective of where the Canucks are in the standings, but he's been so, so good during this stretch. So that's a part of it, but I just see a more confident team. I see a team that gets down by an early power play goal against, and it doesn't all of a sudden say, here we go again. And the freshness of having new voices in there, it's helped. It really has. I think Travis Green's a really good coach, I think he's going to get another job in a relatively short amount of time, whether it's next year or the year after that. And I think he's going to have success at the NHL level, but it does happen at times that you change the coach simply to, to give players that clean slate. I don't think they quit on Travis green for a second. I don't, they just were in one of those ruts, the rut that Elias Pedersen has Pedersen has been in for most of the season that, it's so hard to think that good things are going to happen because the bad things happen time and time again. Yeah, and any time that you have a historically bad penalty kill, that just completely nicks uh, a lot of what you're trying to do. And I think for most of the season, it was really a deflated balloon. You know, like as soon as... And we're seeing it in Edmonton right now, right? It, as soon as something bad happens, you're like, here we go again everything's going wrong we're gonna lose we're gonna lose spectacularly and we can't seem to get a foothold anywhere and, and remember edmonton sorry to cut you <laughs> yeah, off, Sean, edmonton no. had the best points percentage in the nhl at the beginning of december yeah they the looked unstoppable one. yeah they looked incredible <laughs> incredible well and their I guess, power play was flipping a coin oh man it was in, it was an incredible start to the season and now they look like they'll never win again and they'll never get another save that's what they look like right now so Spencer Martin for a first is what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah, that's probably the deal Ken Holland's looking to make. You know, I was asked on Sakaris and Price earlier this week, well, what do you make of the Canucks chances? They've got JT Miller out, Demko's out. They've got guys, as, as you've talked about a couple of times, Josh scattered around North America and COVID protocol. I said it's hockey. Like it's yeah. hockey. So of course they can win tomorrow. And they didn't, and they lost in a shootout, but there are plenty of people who would argue the Canucks played very well and well enough to win that hockey game. This sport is so random. It is so <laughs> random at times. I I am in awe of people who bet on it successfully, successfully time and time again. I really am, because it is the most random sport of the pro sports that you watch as far as trying to figure out what's going to happen. Well, it's funny you say that because before last night, as soon as I saw everything, I just went and loaded up on Panthers on my fantasy pool. Yeah. And it was like, they're just going to feast. Like poor Spencer Martin hasn't played an NHL game in five years. And he's getting thrown against the, the Cats. And then 2-1 shootouts. So uh, my fantasy pool was sad. I was happy. But, <laughs> you, you know, otherwise, uh, what, what, a, what a performance by Spencer Martin. Just, uh, just shocked me. Uh, completely. I did not see that coming at all. But how many times have you seen this in this sport? Like, remember mm -hmm. Buffalo at the tail end of last season and 
Dustin Tokarski was coming up, once regarded as yeah. this extremely promising young goaltender coming out of the junior program, and he was going to be the next big thing. It hasn't worked out for him in the NHL level. He comes and he looked like he comes into the league last year. He looks like he can't be beaten for a team that looked like at one point it would never win again. Like this sport <laughs> is just so strange that way. It really is. And congratulations to Spencer Martin. Didn't get the win, but he was sensational. It's funny you say that because I think back to what we were talking about with Edmonton. Like before the season started, uh, I was actually really high on Calgary. I thought Calgary was a really strong team and going to be really good. And I was really down on Edmonton. I did not think Edmonton improved whatsoever. I thought they had backtracked a lot. The beginning of the season, I looked incredibly dumb with that prediction. <laughs> I had people messaging me. Uh, I had friends taunting me about how I thought Edmonton was terrible and probably wouldn't make the playoffs and here they were just gangbusters to start the season and now it's completely flipped again and i don't think either one is the true version of them just like what we've seen with vancouver they're just the inverted version and it's hard we're like halfway through the season and we still don't really know what really either of these franchises what any of these teams truly are and that's that's a really weird I mean, amongst everything that's happening right now, obviously, weird seasons to begin with, but such a weird season to have at the halfway point, well beyond American yeah. Thanksgiving, that you still genuinely don't really understand what you're looking at as far as what is this team. Well, when you're a second tier team, which is what I'd consider the two of them, that range in the NHL is really big. Like there yeah. aren't a lot of teams that you can count out at the start of the year, like Arizona. Okay. Okay. We can count you out at the start of the year. We have a pretty good idea of how that's going to go. And there are other teams that you go, well, Tampa Bay is going to be in the playoffs. We know there. But those tiers are relatively small compared to the middle one. And whatever that is for you, whether it's teams 9 through 20 or 10 through 22, that's a pretty big swath of teams. The vast and majority of go, the league, yeah. Things go your way. Your special teams are rolling. That means you're as high as maybe 10. They don't, you don't get a few saves. It could be down around 22. And how the hell did we end up in the lottery with a team that we thought was definitely headed back to the playoffs? And that's what Oilers fans have been thinking about for a long time. Calgary has kind of settled out where I thought they were going to be. Obviously their play after mm -hmm. the great start was pretty poor and, and had it had some trouble getting some wins. Calgary has long to me, and I was surprised at how poorly it went for them last season. I thought Calgary would be better. I thought Calgary was constructed kind of like Montreal. Might have yes. some trouble getting into yeah. the playoffs, but if they get in, watch out because the brand of hockey they play and the goaltender that they can roll out can give any team a problem. And I think that, that that's what Calgary is again this year. They're not high-end. They don't have as much high-end talent as some of the top teams, a team like Vegas, for example. But if Calgary gets in, coach that they have, the blue line that they have, they're going to be tough to play against. Yeah. I mean, the start of the season, Vladar and Markstrom looked like they were Jennings front runners, right? So it was uh, it was quite the, the peak for them. It's gone a little bit awry since, but really the only hole that I can see, at least on paper for them, is, is a top-line center. And I really, really thought they were going to go in harder for Eichel. I thought they could really land that. Um, with with Vegas, they're going to get Eichel here in short order. So it's going to be interesting to see how they make uh, the cap adjustments. Some people throwing out Riley Smith as a potential casualty of that. 
uh, to make the numbers work for it. But the, I mean, the Pacific's becoming a lot more. I would say the Pacific's probably the most surprising division, in my opinion, uh, especially when you take into consideration like Anaheim, L.A. I think they're a lot further than any of us expected them to be. Uh, then you get like the Arizonas and stuff that are exactly where we thought they'd be. But uh, interesting, interesting division that the Canucks find themselves in. And I think that's why, you know, after everything that the Canucks have gone through, they still have that glimmer of hope that they can make the playoffs. Do you see them as like a as a playoff team at this point? Or I mean, this I guess this next next stretch here is really going to tell. But well, Boudreaux said prior to the road trip, the next eight games are going to tell us whether we really have a shot at this or not. The road trip started terribly. It ended pretty well with maybe surprising wins in Washington and Nashville, given how those games started. They get a point out of the Florida game. We're almost to the end of the eight-game stretch that Boudreaux talked about. There was so much to make up. So much to make up. Like, if you go look at the standings right now, as well as the Canucks have played under Boudreaux overall, they're still trailing by a lot. And the math Mm -hmm. is bad. So my answer, the short one would be no. I don't see a playoff team right now. I see a team that can play well enough to get into the playoffs, but they need help. They need they need a couple of teams in the Pacific Division to get into the type of swoon that Edmonton is in. The problem That's with the Pacific ask. Division, yeah. well, it is. But the problem with the problem with the Pacific, the problem with the Pacific. Well, and here's the thing. So if you're if you're an optimist and you think, well, it could happen, like, do you truly believe in San Jose or LA? Yeah. Do you truly point. believe in either of those teams? Yet Edmonton's got to play better than this at some point. Calgary's in front of you as well with a bunch of games in hand. And the problem for the teams in the Pacific that find themselves in this mix, the Canucks have played themselves back into, is that the Central continues to roll along and you might only be playing for three spots. Like your best yeah. chance might still be getting the third spot in the Pacific as opposed to saying, well, four teams from this division are going to get in because the Central's playing well enough that it looks like it could be five from that division. So I'm kind of the opposite of Sean here as I look up to my NHL season predictions and I have Edmonton at the very top of the Pacific division. So I was very <laughs> happy to start the season. And now I'm kind of gone, uh-oh, uh, things are, are getting a little bit tough. So we're joined by Scott Rintoul here on Point Shot Hockey. And I kind of wanted to ask you about an Edmonton Oilers situation that was off the ice because you've been around the media in so many different sports and aspects in your career. And I was just wondering what your take was on the Jim Matheson and Leon Dreisaitl exchange from the other day. I think the most (laughs) rational take and the opinion I share is that that's the type of exchange that would have been dealt with in the locker room, not for everybody to see in the past. But here we are. We're doing Zoom press conferences. Most teams want to stream them live. They want to give their fans more access. You wouldn't have seen that exchange in the past. Maybe somebody would have written about it, but that probably gets ironed out between the two people involved without much taking place. It might not get caught on camera. Maybe it is, but it's quick, and then it's dealt with. But because of the situation we find ourselves in right now, it was dealt with much differently at the time. I saw it. Like, everybody wants to assign blame to one side or the other. I see blame on both sides. Could Leon Dreisaitl act like more of a professional? Absolutely. But does he owe a good answer? No. No, he doesn't. He doesn't owe a good answer. That's what Jim Matheson wanted. He said in one of his quips back, well, not a very good one, you're not entitled (laughs) to a good answer. You're not. And, like, it's like any action we take in life, guys. Like, 
you can you can make your choice and then there are consequences that follow some of them are positive some of them are negative and if if leon drysettle doesn't want to play the media game okay he might get ripped by some scribes or he might get ripped on tv but that's his choice to make jim matheson for a veteran who's been around a long time he also doesn't have to go low road on the why are you being so pissy and he knows that <laughs> he knows that what a quote <laughs> right and it's made for some great memes and we can all Absolutely. have fun with it right yeah. like this happens all the time like the team like that took off with drew Doughty said it and now why are you so pissy and let's get pissy and all of this different stuff <laughs> people are having fun with it now i don't imagine it was a lot of fun at the time i don't know where dry settle is at i just saw two people who were frustrated with each other it's way less of a big deal than people are mm -hmm. making out to be quite frankly but i get why it's fun because that stuff goes viral and we all have a laugh at it and when you're not the person involved it's great hey when you're not the person involved, it's fun. <laughs> yeah when you're involved it's probably a little bit different I, I was gonna say are you surprised that this doesn't happen more like considering the circumstances right now where everything's on zoom uh you don't have that dressing room interaction anymore that's uh, like quote unquote behind doors right are you surprised that that's not more common? No, I'm not surprised in this sport because it's conservative sport by nature. So most players, when they get up to the podium, what do we always gripe about as fans of hockey? They don't say no personality. Could you say some more, please? <laughs> Can you just give us a little something? That would be Pucks great if deep. you could do that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's about the team. Don't want to make it about you. And that Shout is out. the culture. Shout out Ken Reed. Yeah, Shout there you Ken go. Reed. Shout yeah. out Ken whenever, Reed right whenever now you say pucks in deep. deep, yeah, you have to say it, otherwise he'll show up in your uh, in your house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we got that out there. But this is a sport that lacks personality publicly, and it's very conservative. You never put yourself ahead of the team, so you generally don't get that from a player. And also, a lot of reporters, if that type of thing happens, they don't want to become the story. So. Yeah they don't dive into the conflict that's happening. They avoid the conflict that's happening, which I completely understand because, again, they're not supposed to be the story, the player, the team, everything they're writing about is. I think we've most commonly seen it, and correct me if you, you disagree here, we've seen it mostly with coaches. And the reason why is to bring like the spotlight of, of criticism away from the players themselves and put it on them. Uh, where they become the story and you kind of take a take an extra minute of breath for the players uh, in the media cycle. So I, I think immediately of John Tortorella, obviously, of but course. there's others that are um, have kind of gone to that same school of, of thought. Uh, Paul Maurice has done it before. A lot, lots of coaches have done that. It's a card to play. Yeah. Quite frankly, most of the time it's a tactic. It usually doesn't come out of emotion. Like, I guess that's what I'm saying, Brooksy. Like, not like that one. <laughs> that one came out of emotion. That was in the moment. And and Torts is different in that sense because some of his do come out of emotion. But like Paul Maurice, for example, Rod Brindamore, they, these guys know that it's a tactic to play at times and they might get fined by the league. But you're right. In many cases, diversion technique. Look at me. Don't look at the team. I'll take some heat off. Man, how many years do we have of that in Vancouver with Brian Burke? Like Burke, yeah. he would roll out and he'd go, okay, I guess it's time for one of my famous <laughs> press conferences and Sedin's is not Swedish for, you know, that type That's of thing. That's the exact where, what I was thinking of, yeah. Yeah, you know, <laughs> drug-induced media fantasy. You can rattle off a whole bunch of these. Berkey knew he was a good clip, and he also knew that if he was saying that and people were paying attention to him, 
it took a little bit of heat off his team. Yeah. Do you think a lot of that, bringing it back to the Canucks, is what Bruce Boudreaux is doing, but in like a positive sense? Like, because he's become such a story here in Vancouver, there's the Bruce, there it is, chance, there's uh, just the love affair of him off the ice, how well-spoken he is, how candid he is. Do you think some of that is also a tactic in, in taking the limelight off of what was a struggling Canucks team at the time? I think a little bit, but mostly it's Boudreaux coming in fresh slate. He doesn't have the burden of what was happening with the rest of the team. He's an optimist and a very good talker in general. That's why he went into the media and did really well. And we all like interviewing Bruce Boudreaux. He's fun, but that doesn't mean he doesn't get mad. We all see, we've all seen the 24 (laughs) seven clip that (laughs) continues to get played every once in a while. Like he gets after his guys at times and he gets frustrated at times and I can guarantee you if you had somebody from the Minnesota wild beat Mm -hmm. on right now, they would tell you there were times where, yeah, Boudreaux would call out players. He called out Niels Hoaglander recently and said, that's got to be better. He went on record as saying, well, we're not really built to do some of the things I'd like to do with our defense. And if we want to do those things, we're going to have to get better defensemen. So it hasn't all been puppies and rainbows more than anything. I think he's a little bit uncomfortable with the amount of attention that got focused on him. Yeah. That's and fair. and you see people who are comfortable with themselves in general, just very grounded. When things are going well, they want it to be about the team. When things are going badly, I'll soak more of that in. Henrik Sedin and Daniel Sedin were prime suspects for that. They would come out after the hard losses. But when things were going well, teams on a five-game winning streak, they would literally say to the PR staff in Vancouver, guys, push some of the other players out there right now let them have some fun. Let them take some of the credit for this. We'll be there during the tough times. It's funny because we had uh, Michael Russo from The Athletic on our, our podcast right after Bruce Woodrow was hired by the Canucks. And he was able to share some great stories. But one, one of the things that stood, he said, you know, me and Bruce weren't really close until after he stopped being the coach for the Minnesota Wild. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's hard, right? Because... The coach knows that he, that there are going to be tough questions. And who likes that? Nobody likes that when a team is struggling. And things didn't go as well as they should have in Minnesota, given some of the regular seasons that they had under Bruce Boudreaux. And we all know about the playoff shortcomings that he's had over, over the years. He's still a really good coach. But if things get tough here, you're not going to see Bruce Boudreaux cracking jokes every single time he's at the podium. <laughs> Like they go through a, a swoon, like Boudreaux's going to call some people out. Probably be a few less uh, Bruce. There it is. Chance as well. Probably a yeah. few. As, <laughs> as he said, he just doesn't want it to turn into Bruce. There he goes. <laughs> so exactly. Scott, uh, we're we're kind of near in the end end of mm-hmm. the the amount of time that Sean told me that uh, we'd be allotted with you today. But I do have a, <laughs> a, a quick couple other ones if you My don't PR. mind. Yeah, my I'm sorry, my PR children. Those are that's those are my PR reps. So yeah, that's that that's what's buzzing. With. Yeah, that's what I'm getting the buzz. Yeah, okay. No, it's all good. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm used to it from the white caps. Nathan's just getting Josh. Come on, man. I said twelve. <laughs> I said twelve minutes. You're at seventeen. I'm like, well, I have a couple more questions. Okay. Well, I this was one that's kind of near and dear to me because I grew up for and played football for John Barsby, then went on to play with the Vancouver Raiders. And you were a, uh, a wide receiver and went on to play for UBC Thunderbird and then eventually coach for them. So 
I was just kind of wondering, like, was that the start of your sports career? Was was football the the big thing for you, like it was for me growing up? It certainly was a gateway into what I'm doing right now. I was like a lot of kids of my generation played a little bit of everything. Football ended up being where I had the most success at at a higher level, but I loved basketball. I loved soccer growing up. I played baseball. Like I love every single sport. I really did. And I, that sounds like a cop out. Football was something that my dad play played growing up. So I was really interested in the game early. He taught me a lot about it. I had a really good mind for the game. If any of you guys have seen me in person, I'm certainly not built for football, like <laughs> wrong sport to choose, man. Probably a bad decision from a physical standpoint. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it worked. I'm five seven for anybody who's never seen me before, and that's where it topped out. Like, and I blame my dad and my mom for that. That's not anything to do with me. That's <laughs> genetics. And my children, if they want to go into higher level sports, they'll have to suffer the same path because my wife's not terribly tall either. But yeah, I just I just took to that sport. I really loved it. I love the strategic element of football and the next level thinking and all of the different planning love the sport it worked out for me i topped out at the university level which is probably better than my my physical gifts should have allowed me to do so i'm pretty happy with the way that worked out and as i said it was a gateway into this i had no designs on being a sportscaster i had no designs going into media whatsoever i met a couple of people toward the end of my career i was trying to figure out what i was career like i got paid money it wasn't a, you know you know what i'm talking about my athletic <laughs> yeah endeavors. not exactly a career like yeah, the guys we're we'll, talking we'll talk about. after this podcast sean um yeah, yeah we know exactly <laughs> yeah. you guys can cut that part out but anyway i read a couple of guys people like farhan lalji from tsn and they introduced me a little bit to the business and told me if i wanted to get serious about it i should go to school which you know technology was a lot different at the time so i i went went to bcit and i wound up doing what i've been doing for the past couple of decades that's awesome. And I mean, you are you do have a new venture coming up here now with toolkit content. Do you want to share a little bit of details or is yeah. a lot of that under wraps still? No, it's not under wraps whatsoever. It's yep. it's my own business that I've launched. And as I said, I've been doing what I've done in sports broadcasting for a long time. And really the idea behind toolkit content for me was to have a broader range of projects that I wanted to take on. I have no regrets about what I've done in radio and television over the years, it's been great. The industry has changed a lot. And I am at a point of my career where I want a little more freedom to choose. And many of the projects I work on won't be sports related. I'm not going to leave the sports environment completely. I will continue to do sports projects and hopefully in, in coming days have more to share on that with, with you guys and everybody else. But I want to be able to work on, on other things. And many of the skills are transferable. Mm -hmm. One of the great things about working in sports is that you get immersed by sports, but you also get typecast. You get pigeonholed a little bit and not everybody wants to break out of that. For me personally, I want to explore other projects. I'm working with a couple of companies right now. One of them's in the, the brain wellness field, like mental health, people who've dealt with traumatic brain injuries, concussions, different type of life circumstances that have put them there. And this company has a method that has helped a lot of people. I love that story. It has nothing to do with my sports background, but I, I'm, in, I'm enjoying working with ABI Wellness. I'm going to work with another company called Little Kitchen Academy. It's a cooking school for kids. Awesome. And no I just, yeah. And I love 
what the concept is, making kids more aware, making them competent in the kitchen and teaching them about health and nutrition and sustainability. Like, I love that concept. That's not all I'm going to do. Like I said, I'm going to continue to work in sports, but with what I've chosen to do with my company, it gives me a little more bandwidth to be able to take on projects like that. That's awesome. That the mental health uh, and brain health, that's, that's something pretty close to me as well. So that's, that's really cool. I'm really interested in, in where that continues to go. Maybe we can sign Josh up for that uh, cooking with kids. There you go. We'll get him in there. Well, uh, you, you, Sean, you know I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good with kids for my time as as a foster parent. So I, 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 that one's a little bit dear to my heart there. So that's Scott. That that's so fantastic to hear. Um, we we've had an absolute blast talking to you. I know we could steal probably another forty seven minutes to three <laughs> hours of your time. If the PR allowed, everything. Yeah. If if the PR person allowed it, I mean, you know. I, Sean, Sean would just start telling me, Josh, we can't be talking NFL because this is a hockey podcast. <laughs> as as I was like, oh, I was like, we can talk. Sean's like, Sean, we can, you know, we maybe ask him about some NFL picks and stuff. He's like, Josh, point shot hockey. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. We have okay, a finite right. amount of time. Okay, yeah. well, get the hockey. So, Scott, thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, we'd love to have you back on any time. So excited to check out all of your endeavors and. Of course, the last words for you for anything that you uh, would like to, to to plug out and for where people can find all your amazing work. Well, thank you very much. At Scott Rentoul on Twitter. That's where I kind of connected with you guys and we've had some interaction in the past. I'm on Instagram trying to grow that a little bit as well. I'm not as good on that platform. I haven't me been neither. on it as long, yeah, but it's hard. at Scott Rentoul <laughs> Pro on there. And who knows, maybe by the next time we talk, maybe I'll have a TikTok account by then. And, and I, can, yes. <laughs> I can talk about that because I'm going to try to explore that platform as well. But yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. Thank you guys very much for having me on. Really enjoyed the conversation. I'd be happy to come on in the future as well. Awesome. awesome. Thanks so much, Scott. Cheers. Cheers.